0: Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to preface the show by giving a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today, on today's episode, I have two really amazing guests on here. I would like to introduce them first by order, or in no particular order, um. Actually, I, I should preface that by saying that I actually flipped a penny before I started recording the podcast. So this actually is in particular order, in the typical Clark fashion, uh, flipping coins here. And I would like to introduce them one by one and give them a quick chance to plug their channels before we get to the rest of today's episode. So first off, I'd like to introduce Peter, also known as Mono Whiteboarder. Hey, Peter, how's it going today? It's going well, MJ. How are you? doing just fine so uh where can people find you on the social media world
1: right i'm better known as mono Whiteboarder on twitter and that's pretty much where you'll find um anything that i produce Uh, i usually you know will tweet out a white magic card here there right now i'm doing uh daily tweets about a white border deck it's a deck on deck that's completely white border but if you're looking for more long-form content, you can also check
0: out, I have a blog at monowhiteboarder.weebly.com, And it's a great source of information if you listeners are interested in seeing more about white and uh, more about what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. So I highly recommend uh, looking at Peter's content. And I would also like to introduce my second guest today, j also known as Unsummoned Skull. Hey J-Ro, uh, could you introduce yourself and a little bit about your channel?
2: Hi there, I'm J-Rowe, also known as Jeremy Rowe. I'm a teacher, a former grinder, and a Twitch affiliate. Lover of all things on Summon. I stream EDH, Oathbreaker, D&D, and I'm working on getting uh, Pokemon Silver, or uh, really Crystal. uh, uh, Getting that set up in terms of streaming that as well. I even made it to a pro tour. Uh, My Twitter handle is at Coach underscore J underscore R-O. And my uh, <clears throat> so my uh, Twitch, which is where I stream, is twitch.tv backslash Unsummoned Skull.
0: <clears throat> and it's a really great place if the listeners are interested in trying to find some games. We have a very active community. All three of us are out there. We pick up a lot of games um, J Road does a lot of very interesting, like monocolored Mondays, for instance, so theme decks, things like that, where we're all playing the same color deck, or you know, just all, all sorts of interesting things. So yeah, if you're looking for a really vibrant community with a lot of great people, definitely check out the Unsummoned Skull channel and the Discord.
2: That is the skull symbol, like uh, like Batman putting
0: out the bat signal.
2: That the skull symbol is what I used to put out on uh, Twitter and to try to get games going, and then I decided, you know what? I know a lot of cool people from a lot of different servers. Let's try to put them all in one place on the discords.
0: Yep. And it's, again, it's a great community. I know that I've played several times on long color Mondays. I know that Peter has as well. We've had some great games and we're looking forward to some great games going forward every Monday at the same skull time, skull symbol skull channel, or I I probably (laughs) messed that up, but, um,
2: same school time, same school channel.
0: See, I, I knew right. I was going to mess that up. I I, I forgot to pref- preface this by saying, na 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 skull symbol. But, <laughs> yep. um, anyway, so on today's episode, um, it we're going to be talking about the color white and the MTG color pie, but more specifically, talking about how to generate card advantage in the traditional and the somewhat non traditional ways. Um, we have recently seen Gavin Verhey release a Good Morning Magic episode just a couple of days ago regarding some of the plans, the roadmap, let's say, for Wizards going forward in the next year or so, talking about some of the things we can expect as players to start seeing in the color white. Uh, This includes some more uh, instances of cards with flash, uh, more card draw, maybe some ramp options, and uh, obviously, this has gotten a lot of people excited, and rightfully so, given the fact that white is traditionally considered to be the weakest of the five colors. But on today's episode, we'd like to actually challenge some of those assumptions. On This is going to be the first part of a multi-part series between the three of us, talking about how white is actually not as bad as people think it is. You just really need to change the way you look at your traditional va- evaluation of cards. White can do a lot of powerful things on its own without assistance from the other colors. You just need to know exactly where to look to find that, and it may not necessarily be most staple to the cards, but there are ways to do a lot of powerful things in white, especially in mono-white. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about card advantage specifically. And again, this is a very nebulous topic, so I'd like for both of my guests here to basically describe a little bit of how they can, or at least how they would define card advantage. I'll start with you, Peter. How would you, um, if, if you were just at, if someone stopped you in an elevator and you had 30 seconds to explain card advantage, especially card advantage in white, what would you say?
1: Yeah, so card advantage is just leveraging a resource, whatever it is, in order to get back more resources than what you spent. So in the traditional sense You may think of casting an Inspiration, three blue, draw two cards. That's card advantage. You spent one card, and you got two cards back. Um, Another example would be Reckless Spite spite in black. One black, black, destroy two target non-black creatures. You spent one card and removed two cards from your opponent's control. So it's just taking a single resource, whatever that might be, and turning it into multiple resources or leveraging it to get rid of your opponent's
0: multiple resources. Yeah, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And uh, J-Ro, how would you define card advantage from your experience?
2: From my experience, it depends on the type of deck that you are playing, but it can be in terms of the amount of cards that you have access to, the amount of cards that you see, and the amount of cards that you are able to play or impact.
0: Okay, there you have it. The definitive... Uh, take on Card Advantage from two experts in the field.
3: <laughs>
0: and so uh, in, in, in order to guide our conversation today, I'd like to keep this as a casual conversation, as I usually do with the uh, collaborations on my podcast. But before the show, Peter did share with us a couple of uh, things that we can go over for Card Advantage. And I'll just go over those really quickly before we jump into these basically four small mo- modules as part of the larger conversation about Card Advantage existing card advantage excuse me in white and those small modules are recursion so bringing things back for more value whether that's from the graveyard your hand exile etc there's card draw and all the things that are associated with that there are board wipes and there is flicker slash blink and it Just in me looking at this, this seems like a very interesting take on exactly what we call card advantage because, again, some of these are, like card draw, are typically traditionally considered to be card advantage because you're able to go through more cards in your deck. Therefore, you have more options to try to be able to win the game. But again, I've never really seen recursion and board wipes also put in the same sentence as card advantage. So I'm actually really interested in seeing how those modules really fit in to how mono-white can still be a very competitive and very fun color to play. So if both of you are uh, ready to go, we can get started on the first module. Good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, sounds good. So I'm going to start off by... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to start off with the recursion module. Again, this is trying to get some value out of your graveyard, whether this is a resurrection-type effect in white or whether you're trying to... Uh, get some cards back from your graveyard from your hand etc cetera, etc cetera. and just being able to try to do something that is typically uh, considered mostly in the wheelhouse of mono black and some cases mono green mono blue but not really in white so much so uh, Peter since this is uh, definitely your idealist uh, could you fill us in a little bit more on how you can get recursion value and card advantage in mono white
1: yeah so one of the most like well-known white cards is Sun Titan, right? Um, it's probably one of the best white cards there is. It's four and a white-white to cast a creature that, when it enters the battlefield, you return a permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard, and then when it attacks, you do that as well. Um, so it's not card advantage in the traditional sense of you're going deeper in your deck, which has its advantages over just recurring things repeatedly. But it is a way to generate continuous value without expending resources from your hand. So the first trigger on Sun Titan, that's not really card advantage. That's just you know getting your card back, if you will. Um, but then when you attack with Sun Titan, that's you now are up a resource. You spent one resource, which was casting that Sun Titan, and you've now gotten two resources back from it, whether it was returning a land from the graveyard or a creature or anything of that nature, and so you can continue to build off that. And there's different ways to take advantage of Sun Titan's ability, get more value off of Sun Titan's ability. But at its base level, Sun Titan, you know, once you attack for the first time, you're now generating card advantage. Uh, you can pair that with sack outlets, so you can generate the same advantage from a card, and now you're gaining advantage from the sack outlet. But you're still building up these resources without expending any resources from your hands. And really that's what it comes down to in white. A white white probably more than any other color is gonna feel like you're playing a resource management game like, you know, Catan or something, where you're trying to leverage the limited resources you have in order to get more and more value out of them.
0: Yeah, and it, it's interesting that you can bring back a whole lot of different card types with that Sun Titan. I mean, I haven't been able to use Sun Titan very much because it's kind of been in and out of decks, so I I guess I feel like I'm not doing my duty as a white player here. Um, But, I mean, if you're able to get anything back from even like a command sphere after you stack to to draw a card or a small creature, kind of the Teshar Ancestors Apostle line here, being able to bring back small creatures from your graveyard... Um, just things like or or an enchantment again or ev- even kind of going with the the new line of thinking about how boros ramp could work using crucible of worlds etc cetera, etc cetera, bringing back fetch lands things like that um kind of fall along the same vein is that white already has some ways to be able to bring those cards back from the graveyard you just typically have to jump through a lot more hoops to be able to get there in most cases um there are just, some that
2: don't require a lot of hoops oh, sorry uh... Are you going to segue?
0: No, 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 go ahead.
2: Okay. So there are some that don't require a lot of hoops. One of the ones I have in front of me right now is Replenish. Four mana return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to play. There's also Retether, which does about the same thing for auras. <clears throat> those, are, those represent single-card massive swings for playing a certain card type. So white does have huge swinging advantage that can suddenly shift the way a game is going. The problem that can come with it is that it requires you to have done some work already. Even Sun Titan requires you to have done some work already. It provides card advantage, provided you already have things in your graveyard, which happens over the course of a game, but it's a consideration you need to have when you are building your deck.
4: As well as playing your deck.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Building as well as playing your deck, yes. Uh, And some of the timing in which you play things. For example, uh, you want to make sure that the Command Sphere is out before you cast your Sun Titan. Uh, If you're going to use... You ideally like to use the Command Sphere on the mana. uh, So so to make the mana to cast the Sun Titan. Then sacrifice it with the ability on the stack. Then bring the Command Sphere back back that way you're getting your maximum value drawing as many cards as you can and ending in a better position than you were when you started the turn
0: and and i think that's what i meant is that you did have to have some prior setup versus you you know black let's say with anime dead or something where it's just it's unquestioned the card is coming back onto the battlefield um, there, you don't have to worry about a CMC or anything, or sorry, excuse me, mana value, as it's now known as of <laughs> yesterday. Um, but yeah, yeah, so you you do have to have some of that prior setup, and again, that is definitely one of the challenges the white faces when you have to jump through a lot of those hoops to be able to do these things. And again, that that does uh, tick some people off. It's it's challenging sometimes, especially if your deck or the game just isn't quite going the way you want it to. And um, that's not to say that white is bad at recursion at all. We've effectively just gone over quite a few good, very good white recursion cards that allow you to gain a whole lot of value if you've built your deck correctly. And also, they, they do require some luck as well. Obviously, not all of these cards are going to work as well in every game. But again, that's just the variability, the variance of magic. I know I touched on that in an earlier podcast episode about a reason why we all play this format. And the fact is, is you may need to jump through those hoops. But typically, if you can, you get a whole lot of value off those things as you're able to just do that turn after turn or whatever you're able to do and just be able to continue compounding that value. It just may not take the same shape that other colors are able to get their value from. And I think that's the big take home message here, Uh, not just in this module, but across the entire episode that white, you may have to jump through some interesting hoops to be able to get to where you want to go. But eventually, if you do your deck building right, you do your due diligence, you should be able to reap those benefits.
1: Yeah, and that's that's kind of part of the white color philosophy, right? I've said that some of the reasons that I like mono-white is that the growth is very linear versus um, other colors feeling very exponential. And a lot of the white cards, Trove Warden, uh, Idol of Endurance, Sun Titan, these all do essentially the same thing. They bring back something with three CMC or less. but their growth is a uh, linear growth and you can steadily build upon it with each new card you add. It's not the individual card itself that's gonna do all the work. It's how you play that card, the other cards you put with it that create that really powerful advantage. So it can reward you both as a deck builder and as a player. I think the way you sequence is extremely important in mono white, and people don't often think about that. They think about sequencing with other colors like blue perhaps, but not so much with mono white and the way you sequence your cards, the way you've built your deck, you can get a lot of rewards from these cards that on the surface seem more narrow and like they have a lot of hoops to jump through.
2: I think that's an important point to make because of that issue that was brought up earlier about uh, identity that what part of white's identity is that white is the color of teamwork of unity and it's important to see how that functions in terms of all your cards working together synergistically to create something that's better than the sum of its parts. And that's something that's kind of beautiful about white.
1: It's, it's a really, it's secretly a Johnny (laughs) color. It really is. It's your, the combos aren't necessarily game ending. The combos are value generating and you kind of have to have a little bit of a Johnny mindset when you put these cards together and it's like, yeah, you're kind of trying to create the perfect situation, but the way you build your deck, the way you play your deck, can help to generate you know that situation. I I got to cast I got to cast Idol of Endurance for the first time the other day, and literally cast every card from underneath that Idol of Endurance. So I got all my effects back from my graveyard. I got all these creatures into play, and I didn't have to spend cards from my hand to do it. I'd already cast the card that let me do that. So it and these resources that once were gone i now got back and had access to them and that was a form of card advantage
0: yeah that, that that's definitely something that uh we've found by playing through mono white is we've tried to find the ways to be able to get strength out of this color because we do have to change our thinking change our logic and how we play because it's not necessarily the most straightforward but it, it, that doesn't take any of the power away from it, and it has forced all three of us to really rethink the way we'd want to build that deck. But also, it, it's also strangely linear, like you said, that there, there is a way to be able to build this, and then you try to build on top of that, and then you just keep building, keep building, and then you can really start getting the value that other colors have. It just doesn't look the same way. That's, and that's a very quintessential mono-white thing.
1: Yeah, it's for sure one of the reasons, like I said, that I like the color. Now, that's not to say that there aren't explosive turns that you can have in Mono White, but most of the game it's going to feel like a very linear sort of growth that you, know, you might not be accustomed to, where in other colors you can play one card, and that one card brings you back in the game. It's nothing necessarily that you did. You just played the card, and it, and it got you there. Um, And maybe that's a fault of white. Maybe it'd be nice if white had more cards like that so that it was more inviting to different play styles. But as it stands now, um, white doesn't have as many of those options. It still has some. Replenish is a great example that uh, J-Row brought up, Um, a really powerful card that can completely swing the game back in your direction. So you can definitely find those cards in white. Um, They're just a little bit sparser.
2: Back when I was playing in like Standard and Constructed, there was an Open the Vault stack that was just ridiculous.
4: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Triumph and Reckoning is another one that came out that does a very similar thing.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so I would like to bring this module to, the, to a close. I think we've now found that Recursion is actually a strength of Mono White. It just doesn't necessarily take the same shape that it does in Mono Black, Mono Green, etc., etc., So I'd like to shift the conversation over to the next module, which is card draw. And again, this is, if if recursion is a potentially complex situation to try to talk about mono-white, card draw is even more controversial in some ways, depending on your definition. So we're going to use Peter's earlier example of divination, a 3-mana draw 2 cantrip sorcery, effectively in blue, as kind of the baseline here for what card draw is. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about how mono-white sucks at card draw. I mean, that's really what we hear a lot of the time. And yes, you don't necessarily have what some people consider to be the quote-unquote three best words in Magic, which are draw a card, stapled to a lot of white cards. However, uh, that's not to say that mono-white doesn't have card draw. Again, just like with recursion, mono-white is the color where you have to find some alternative ways to be able to draw cards. You, may, you just don't have all those uh, cards that can trip off themselves when they enter the battlefield, necessarily. So, um, J.R.O., I'm going to start off with you here. So, when you're building some of your mono-white decks, what cards would you consider to be kind of your auto-includes or, you know, something more close, something closer to it, like a staple to get some card draw in your deck to, to be able to replenish your hand? when you potentially start running out of gas? Are you running kind of the Mana Rock, Command Sphere, uh, things like that? Or are you trying to find uh, just some other really good value artifacts? Or or are there some creatures that people are sleeping on who uh, can give you some good card draw when they enter the battlefield or uh, when you meet some sort of condition?
2: It depends very much on the strategy that I'm looking for. But one of the ones that I would consider really highly, and I actually have it as a signature spell in one of my Oathbreaker decks is truce and there's uh, temporary truce as a sorcery speed version of the same card uh so truce for two colorless and a white it's an instant and it's in my flash deck each player may draw up to two cards for each card less than two that player draws that player gains two life so it's essentially a modal spell that everybody can use now it isn't truly advantage you could say because it gives everybody cards but that has to do with how you can leverage that politically It can give you 4 life for 3 mana at the end of the game. It can give you 2 life and a card. Or it can give you 2 cards for 3 mana, which is pretty good. And in the deck that it's in, which is my Hixus Trixus deck, that's a very political flash deck. And so I would want that card in there, but it might not be so good in other other builds. Um, In terms of auto-includes... Oblation is pretty high up there because uh, it's either three mana, remove a spell, or three mana, remove a permanent that you don't like, and give somebody else cards to keep them from being mad at you, or three mana, get rid of something you don't need, like an extra land because you're likely going to have them as long as you're making your land drops and draw two cards. So... That would be pretty high up there in terms of card advantage.
1: Ablation Oblation's interesting, too, because it can be... On its surface, Ablation isn't truly card advantage, right? You're spending two resources. Usually, let's say you're casting Ablation and you're hitting your own permanent, and then you're drawing two cards. You're net neutral there. But if you're doing it in response to a removal spell, that you were going to lose that permanent anyway... It's kind of like you're then it's kind of like a form of card advantage because you're taking a resource that would have been gone and you're transitioning it into a new card. So it kind of it's right along that edge there of being truly card advantage or not. But definitely super great card. And if you're doing anything with, say, tokens, then it definitely becomes a source of card advantage, because that token, you're probably getting multiple tokens along with it.
2: Yeah, I would say card advantage uh, is somewhat relative, especially in white, with regards to whether or not you actually care about that particular (laughs) card.
1: Yeah, that's definitely fair. And you can't underestimate the value of going deeper into your deck, right? Which is something that white doesn't always do, which is why I've often advocated that an important feature in white isn't new designs, it's iterations on previous designs. So uh, so using Sun Titan as an example, we've got a ton of different iterations on that. Tishar, um, Idol of Endurance, Trove Warden, um, uh, Bishop of Rebirth. All of those are Sun Titan-esque effects so that you're not relying on digging to your one Sun Titan. You have five or six Sun Titans or Sun Titan's light in your deck. Um, so, But you still need to dig deeper. So. You know the fact that Oblation actually literally draws you a card and that any of these things that we'll talk about draw you a card is
4: definitely relevant.
2: Yeah, that's where... Um, now, I come at this from a slightly different perspective in a few different ways, but one of the ways is that I was... I'm a primarily combo-first player. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was how I learned how to play, uh, because I, I started playing around the time of modular and damage on the stack and... Combat was so difficult for me to figure out. I either played with flying or unblockable things, or I just tried to mill people.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, as a result, I learned a different type of card advantage. Because some of the first decks I played were like storm decks.
3: Mm-hmm. Because
2: I was trying to win any way that didn't involve a combat step.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, <clears throat> card draw to me is either velocity, selection, or advantage. Either you're trying to see more cards, dig further into the deck, but not necessarily have more pieces of cardboard than you had before. You're trying to see further into the deck, but not necessarily, so see uh, further into the deck and just like set the top cards the way you want them, or actually put more physical pieces of cardboard in your hand. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Velocity and selection are a lot better for combo decks. Because they either just need to get particular pieces with velocity, find specific cards with selection, or uh, so they, they need to do those basically those two jobs. Advantage is more for aggressive decks that run the risk of emptying their hand, or mid-range to control decks that just need more pieces, not necessarily...
4: Anything specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's you a really deck. Yeah, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. way of, of viewing it. Definitely,
1: as someone who plays a lot of, you know, quote unquote fair magic with a lot of combat, you know, one for one removal, that's definitely someone who I like having seven cards in my hand and I play mono white, so that's an interesting struggle. I definitely, that's interesting to view it from a terms of sometimes. You
4: want to see a specific card, so it doesn't matter what cards you're throwing away. You're just trying to get to the one card that you want to see. Um, so selection would be something like scry. If right. something,
2: uh, I've been, uh, I've heard it said before that scry two is the same as draw card.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you might have to get to like scry three or something. I think it might be well, more. But that's a is, that's a really what
2: card. in scry is three. There is a w uh there is
1: a white card that scries three. <laughs> oh man. But, now I have to figure out what card that is.
2: <laughs> uh I'll I'll look it up so you don't have to worry about that.
0: Yeah, scry just, three definitely sounds like something that a lot of people would be interested in, in learning to play. So yeah, we, we should try to find that card and get it on. Uh, the judge Unworthy. Judge Unworthy. Choose target attacking or blocking
2: creatures. Scry three, then reveal the top card of your library. Deals damage equal uh, to that card's converted mana, well, mana value to that creature. Wow! Even if you aren't trying to kill the creature, it still allows you to scry three for two mana at instant speed.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow! That yeah. So if you're if your concern's getting deeper and not necessarily putting a new card in your hand, and that card, it's interesting because that card doesn't even put you down a resource. Right? You could theoretically destroy the creature. Yeah. Which would put you once again resource neutral. That would be two mana,
2: instant speed. Uh, set the uh, set the top of your card, set the top of your library, and kill a creature. That's pretty good. I actually have been sleeping on that a little bit. But...
3: <laughs> yeah, that it's sounds pretty interesting. Good.
0: Should be in the flash deck. <laughs> 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 oh man. So you heard it here first, folks. Um, J-Row has now given us a way to try to potentially break uh, mono-white removal spells in the most <laughs> yeah. random yet awesome mono-white way. So yeah, I, th- I think we should definitely look into that. Yeah. There so, are a
2: couple other cards at Scry 2, but I remember where I originally heard that, but I've heard that maxim before, that Scry 2 is the same as draw a card, and Scry 3 is pushing, putting you up a half card, essentially.
1: It's it's hard math to parse out. I know that people have talked about it theoretically of, you know, how how many cards would you need to scry in order to give up a draw? So like say for instance I say you can draw one card or scry five. And almost always the answer is, well, it's completely situational. Mm-hmm. Do I need the card now or do I need the card next turn? Because that's yeah. gonna that's gonna dictate whether you wanna scry or draw, right? Um, And so that's something to keep in mind when you're building your deck and when you're playing your deck of, do I need cards now or do I need cards next turn? Um, And something to keep in mind too. But I was thinking too with card draw and mono white. So I did a project for Moxtober, which is um, an event that Bradley Rose started that's a variation on Inktober, where you do some sort of magic-related project every day for the month of October. So I built a mono-white deck every day in the month of October, um, which means 31 mono-white decks. And when I wrote about it at the end of the month, I basically narrowed down white's key draw themes. And I basically concluded that white draw there's not many cards in white that say draw a card on them just straight up, like Truce would. Truce says you cast a spell and it says you draw this many cards, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else gets to draw cards, but you draw, you draw cards. White is usually you have to build some sort of engine or concoct some sort of machine. And so I basically broke it down into five-ish categories of life gain, small creatures, um, Tap artifacts, that's like Endless Atlas, Illuminated Folio. Equipment slash auras. And lands. So, the life gain being you gain a life and you get to pay some amount of mana to draw a card. Dawn of Hope, Well of Lost Dreams um, are both cards that do that. Small creatures being Mentor of the Meek, Bygone Bishop. You cast a creature with converted mana costs 3 to 3, CMC 3 or less. Um, or you play a creature of toughness or power 2 or less and you pay some amount of mana, you get to draw a card. Um, obviously, you can use artifacts that say, pay 2, tap, draw a card. That's a way to get some card advantage. You have to activate it twice, but eventually you're going to go up on cards. Um, equipments and auras is really interesting because not only are there literal equipments that synergize well with white, like Mask of Memory, that you deal damage and you draw cards, but there's also creatures like Pure Steel Paladin, Srom, uh, Core Spirit Dancer that When you cast an artifact or when you cast an aura, they will draw a card. And then the last one is lands, which White, I'm sure everyone's familiar now, White's really good at putting lands into its hand, which you can then utilize those as a resource, right? Um, Whether it's discarding cards to draw cards or getting landfall triggers like something on Seer's Sundial. So that's one important thing when thinking about drawing cards in White as well. Like, if you literally just want to draw more cards, you have to think, what engine is my deck going to run off of to do that? So I have a Daxos deck. It's life gain. I have a lot of cards that function off that life gain engine. Um, More often than not, you're going to have to kind of mix and match these things. So you might have a deck that uses cards like Land Tax, along with an equipment theme, in order to get your card advantage via card draw in that method. Um, But definitely that's another aspect of kind of the johnny side of white where you're you're having to think of combos, synergies and engines in order to create your card draw. It's not one one card doesn't really do it. You have to create it using multiple different cards, which, you know, is a part of the struggle too. You have to you have to in that case invest more cards, which means you have to spend more time to get the cards back out of it.
2: So would Thraven Inspector fit into that small creature uh, pool?
0: That's an
1: interesting one, because Thraven Inspector, yeah, he's an ETB draw card. I use him a lot, but he's not really what I was thinking of with small creature. Right, Mentor of the Meek, Bygone Bishop, are both cash triggers or ETB triggers. Thraven Inspector is like one of the is a pretty unique card in white. There's not many
4: mm-hmm.
1: white cards that ETB and it's a little bit delayed, but it's ETB draw card. Actually, Farsighted uh, Death being the most newest one.
2: I actually put that, um, I have Freedom Inspector in my Hyksus deck, stack, which is Flash, because not every card has Flash. <clears throat> it's a one-drop, which means that it's not affecting my ability to play things on other people's turns except for the first turn, in which case, that's about as good as a Soul Ring to me. Um, and it gives me something that I can do at instant speed, even if there's nothing I want to cast.
1: Which that's an important that's an important thing in white. I think that people don't often realize is that having mana sinks is really really valuable because you can still efficiently use your mana, but once again, you don't have to give up a card in your hand, which that matters, right? So in this case, Throbbing Inspector. You're still using your mana, you're leaving up your options to play at instant speed, and you're drawing a card that that is really powerful, and that's really that allows you to to get the most out of all the cards that you have access to
0: So Peter, I had another question um yeah, just in your opinion, I have definitely heard the the mantra that getting obviously like you said lands into your hand could be a form of card draw. So when I try to build my white decks, I I use a Pilgrim's Eye for instance. Play three one one flyer, which is always nice in mono white, and put a land into your hand from your deck. Would you also consider that to be kind of a part part of card draw because you're for, you're giving yourself access to white since you can't necessarily ramp easily like you can in green but you're still giving yourself that resource from your deck on an ETB trigger.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's because it's... It's not, you know... It's not... It's close to drawing a card, right? It's just you're choosing the card you draw, and you're choosing land every time. So... And I've definitely played Pilgrim's Eye in decks before. It's nice. It's still you're not going down a resource to cast the card. So it's definitely card advantage. I'm sure you could throw it in. You could lump it in with card draw. It probably fits best in the card draw module. Um, same thing with something like uh, Stoic Farmer, I think, is the Kaltheim Dwarf, who can put a land into your hand. Or a Race Ghost Explorer. They all do similar things. You play them, and they put a land into your hand. and you know essentially that's drawing a card it's just you're picking the card that you draw it's no different than really like a demonic tutor except you know way lower ceiling
0: mm-hmm. but if you aren't missing a land drop it's just as good as a card draw because you know i find that when when i'm playing a lot of white decks i sometimes run out of gas i i'm not drawing the lands i need i can't play the cards in my hand and having that extra card that i know is guaranteed to be a land is a nice way to at least make sure that I'm not going to miss that land drop for that turn, which could make a big difference a couple turns down the road.
1: And J-Rose said this before, but White's form of ramp is playing a land every turn.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And over the over the course of a long game, that adds up. You're, and playing a land every turn is really, really important for any color. It doesn't matter what color you're in. Because while the green deck can ramp and go faster than you, if you have, for example, uh, our next form of card advantage, a board wipe, to reset them and slow them down, they've spent resources to do something that you're doing for free, right? You're doing it a little Mm -hmm. bit slower, but now you have more resources in your hand because you've spent, especially if somebody's using mana rock, you've spent one card to possibly reset all the mana rocks that they played so that they're in the graveyard, they're not using them anymore. And so all that time they spent ramping, you've now put them on even footing. And if you continue to play your land every turn and the game goes longer, which is how I like to play my games, I like, games to, I like long games, then you're going to catch back up by making sure that you hit your land drop every turn. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, so... Uh... If there's nothing else to really go over about card draw, I think that's a perfect segue to the board wipes section of our conversation today. Now, obviously, when we were talking about this before the, uh, before the episode, I really looked at that one and thought to myself, okay, Peter, how exactly would a board wipe be card advantage? It's a way to be able to deal with problematic uh, board states. But it's not the way we traditionally think about uh, card advantage, especially in mono-whites. So could you explain some of your reasoning on how board wipes can actually be used as a card advantage? I know you touched on that with Mana Rocks. But yeah, if, if you could just go a little bit further into that, that'd be great. And I think a lot of people would really be interested in hearing more on this.
1: Right. So I might be cheating on <laughs> whether a board wipe is card advantage or not a little bit. It definitely is... I think it's the most controversial of the options that I threw out there. But especially if, so the biggest example is if you can create a one-sided board wipe. A one-sided board wipe, I don't think anyone would argue that that's not card advantage. And the key here is, in my definition of card advantage, it's about spending a resource to either get more resources back or take away resources, more resources from your opponent. So. A card like, for example, Dusk to Dawn, um, which is, I mean, that could even go in the recursion section. But Dusk is two white-white to destroy all creatures with power three or greater. So if you're playing a board that's all creatures with two power, you've created a one-sided board wipe, which is going to give you extreme amounts of advantage. You've spent one resource to take away a lot of resources from your opponent, And you've not lost any of your resources, and then it helps that on the back half of Dusk Dawn is Dawn, which can actually bring back a bunch of small creatures from your graveyard for you, um, which is kind of another form of recursion. That's a really great card if you're looking for part of and mono white. But even, I mean, if you've slowed the progression of your board state, so like imagine, and sorry to all the elf players out there. Um, but like imagine that mm-hmm. you're playing against an elf player. Elves are notoriously really fast. You cast Elvish Mystic, then you're casting Elvish Archdruid, and then you're casting all these elves and you're dumping your hand on the table and you're getting all this value from these elves that you've made. Well, if I cast a Wrath of God on turn four before you've, you know, really done any damage with your elves, which may or may not happen. Elves can go really fast, then that's a form of card advantage. I've spent one card and I've basically reset your board and I've taken away eight resources from you. So that's kind of my logic between uh, behind a board wipe can be card advantage. It's you know maybe it's more negative card advantage for your opponents you're spending one resource to take away a lot of resources from your opponent but it can still be
4: a form of card advantage to generate more value for yourself than your than your opponent's. a board cool. wipe could also go into the sorry, go um, ahead go ahead it can
2: also go into the velocity section uh, uh-huh. <clears throat> in terms of creating an opportunity for you to potentially steal games uh, I know <clears throat> I'm kind of the opposite perspective as a combo player. I like to end games in a quick beautiful way just <clears throat> uh not, not that the other way isn't, but I like to end games in a a flourish of uh, finding an opening and smashing right through it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, one of the games recently went uh, <clears throat> a, white, a board wipe happened to uh, leave the table open, and then the end phase of uh, right before it became my turn, White Sun Zenith to create a board, uh, <clears throat> and then on my turn, it was something, what was it again? Bathe in Light to give my creatures protection from the most popular color, which I believe everybody had, and then Charge Across the araba to make my creatures huge and just steal the game. So the board wipe, I wasn't concerned about how many creatures of theirs died versus how many of mine died. I was concerned about creating an opening to smash through for massive advantage. Even if I didn't win the game there, it would have effectively won the game there.
1: Yeah, and if you win the game, it doesn't matter how many cards you could have drawn in the next couple turns, because the game's over. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well, That has to do with thinking in terms of a combo mind and creating the advantages and openings you need to win games. So people—that's the people are thinking of white as the color of everything has to go properly for you to win the game. Not necessarily, you need to but you do need to sort of create those openings for yourself.
0: Yeah, and... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, MJ. Yeah, so I going off your point there, j ro is yeah, I'm really out of this conversation. I'm getting the, the concept that white is kind of the color of resetting the board for your advantage. You're gaining that card advantage effectively by negatively impacting your opponents, even if it doesn't necessarily hit you all that much or even really help you. So it's I, I, I guess if we want to look at board wipes in this way, is you're generating that advantage by effectively uh, harming your opponents and making sure that they have to go at your speed. Again, this is the reason why balance is so uh, powerful and is why it's banned, is because <laughs> you, you are able to force people to go at your speed. If you're only able to play land one land a turn, but you're able to consistently hit that, as Peter mentioned... Um, you're going to be able to generate that value by forcing people to, you know, try to lean on a deck without their mana rocks, for instance. Let's say you cast Austere Command. You blow up all the mana rocks and, let's say, all the large creatures. Well, if you have a whole bunch of small tokens, you know, or, or you're just even just trying to blow up a few annoying mana rocks, you know, the Mana Crypt, the Signet, uh, Soul Ring, Arcane Signet, etc., etc., you are effectively generating you know, that same amount of card advantage because you are no longer behind so I would consider that to actually be a really powerful uh, form of advantage because you are boosting your own chances. Even if you're not necessarily gaining extra resources, you're certainly not trying to catch up from behind. And, that, and that's really what White's the best at. It's just trying to normalize, stabilize, and try to keep everything even.
1: Right. I think a lot of the pitfalls that people fall into is that they – Build their mono white deck and they try and make it do something it doesn't do, right? Mono White's bad at ramp, so why would you try and shove ramp into your deck? That doesn't make any sense. Or or I should say mono white's bad at burst mana, I guess. But why are you trying to make it do something it can't do when instead you could focus on setting the pace to match the pace of what you're good at? You know, control the tempo of the game in order to you know, utilize what you can do better. Um, you know, if I don't know if you guys are football people, but a football analogy, we just had the Super Bowl not too long ago, and you know, Kansas City's this really high offensive team. So, what's the logical thing to do? It's not try and outscore them. It's try and slow the game down and take away their strength, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's something that White can do that I think people often struggle thinking about is. You don't have to play the format the same way everyone else is playing the format, right? You can instead say, "I'm just going to hit my land drops every turn, and I'm going to construct or set the pace of the game such that that matters." And it can be it can be tricky to do. It's not always going to work, but ramping out to a super fast start's not always going to work. You're still going to lose games, mm-hmm. um, but it's just something to kind of think about. I think you nailed you nailed the nail on the head. You you headed the nail. <laughs> there we go you, <laughs> but you nailed it you you nailed it with your description especially like perfect example was that austere command idea of I can take away what you guys have and keep what I have and there that, that's a form of advantage
2: I haven't uh, I, I used to be a football coach at actually section where the coach and coach j comes from and I oh, won nice. a state championship in in 2000 uh, as a high school football coach uh, <clears throat> but one of the things that I would I would say I, I think that what was just said in terms of what happened, uh, I would compare what you were talking about in terms of slowing the game down to what the New York Giants did to the Patriots, not right. so much what the Buccaneers did to the Chiefs. I think what the Buccaneers did to the Chiefs is a little bit closer to an offensive way of looking at it in terms of slowing the game down. You could tell by how many yards they ran for uh-huh. that it wasn't necessarily. But it was a decent amount of defense, but it was also how quickly the game got out of hand and the burst points that they created, similar to the situation I was talking about with the Zenith and the Charge. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I would say, in terms of Wraths, it's not just about can you clear the board and are you killing more of theirs than yours. You also want to be looking at specific card choices that enable the type of game that you're looking for. Uh, For example, uh, being able to Wrath the board at instant speed with something uh, like Settle the Wreckage Mm
3: -hmm.
2: is really valuable in white because it allows you to untap and add to the board before other players. And so you pick and choose when you're going to do that, but if you're able to use an instant speed Wrath, there's also... What was the one that uh, you pay two more and you can do it at instant speed? Uh, Route. You have a common one. Route, yes. Uh-huh. So Route's another one where you are able to be the first to act, just like you want to be with something like Howling Mind. Uh, Howling Mind, you can't be the first to act, but Dictator Crufix you can. So Blue is able to get around Howling Mind's disadvantage by giving it Flash with Cruf- with uh, Dictator Cruffix. White is able to get around Wrath of God's disadvantage in that it's a symmetrical effect at sorcery speed that allows other players to build up before you by either capitalizing on the death trigger or making it instant speed and able to do it on the end phase of the person who's, who goes before you in turn order so that you can create an advantage and essentially assert yourself at the table. Uh, So that would be uh, those are that's big in terms of have picking specific wrath effects that work with your strategy. If your deck is built around life gain, play fumigate instead of wrath god.
4: And and also, I think you also brought up a good point, J. Rove. Make sure you're picking your spots correctly. You know, you don't want to
1: wrath, and it's it's one of the trickier things to learn how to do. But you don't want to destroy all creatures. When it would actually set you back further than anyone else, and especially because it can it can really turn a game on its head and get really miserable if everyone's just destroying all creatures willy nilly for no advantage. The key is to leverage that resource that you have access to as a white deck to make it more valuable for you, and it's 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 a really tricky thing to figure out and get used to.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so so uh, could we in a way consider white to be a color of That effectively its mo is proactive and reactive, depending on how you build the deck. Because you obviously you have those aggressive tendencies, the token strategies, things like charge, you know, those combat tricks where you are trying to swing in for massive combat damage. But if we want to look at it this way. White also needs to be very reactive when when you need to use your removal spell, whether that's your Path to Exile, Swords to Plowshares, or whether that's just a Wrath of God, Austere Command, something like that. I mean, is that, Do you guys feel like that's a fair assumption that you kind of have to be both a proactive player and a very reactive player in mono-white?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's good for any deck or strategy, but especially in mono-white, you need to be able to play the role that you have to play in that moment in time. And sometimes you're going to set your role, but a lot of times you're going to be reading the table to figure out what your role is. And then you want to be able to slide into that role and play that role until you can turn that role into an advantage and then you're setting the pace of the table. So, it's kind of you got to you got to kind of get used to taking your lumps and then you know, turning that around, like Jero was describing, you take your
4: lumps, you pick your spots, and then you turn it around and you turn it into advantage, and then you try and you know take the game. Yeah, and um, I would look at it in terms of can, uh, when you look
2: at a card that's going to be put in your deck, are you looking at everything that card can do? One of the things I hope people who pay attention to my content know about me by now is that I will make a card do everything it can possibly do. That's one of the reasons why I love Unsummon so much. I have so many decks designed around doing different things with that card and that effect. I'm going to stretch it every single way I possibly can. So when you're looking at a card, are you looking at everything that card can do in any given situation? Which sounds like a lot, because it is a lot.
4: Let's say that you're looking at a card like O-Ring. O-Ring's removal, right? You, you use it to take out a specific permanent.
2: You can use it defensively to get rid of a threat that you think could take out the table. You could use it <clears throat> on your own creature and then destroy all enchantments and creatures with... Uh, what was it? Uh all enchantments and certain kind of creatures with the uh Oscar Command. Austere Command or something something along those lines. Right. And your creature comes back and it's unaffected when otherwise it would have been affected. Let's say you want to kill big creatures, you put O-ring on the Sun Titan, uh <clears throat> blow up big creatures and enchantments, you have Sun Titan back, gets back your O-ring, that's a ton of advantage.
1: Mm-hmm look you just and you just use two you just combine two of the modules that we use to create a lot of advantage
2: yeah uh, so looking at everything that a card can do it can be used um uh, to get rid of let's say somebody over um uh, overextends themselves and they only have one blocker left and they think that's enough maybe it's a creature that can block multiple creatures it can't block anybody if it's exiled <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think that's just a really useful skill. Once again, just another useful skill to have in general that you can, if you really set your mind to it, you really have to emphasize it in mono white. And You might have to emphasize it. You have to emphasize it in all colors, but more so in mono white in the sense that you want to play cards that reward you as the player for getting the most out of them because you're going to in mono white, I'm not going to sit here and say that a mono white deck is going to draw more cards than a blue deck on average. It's just not going to happen. Blue's going to literally put more cards in its hand. It just has an easier time doing that. If you're seeing less cards, you need to make sure you're getting the most out of every single card you play because if the blue player can draw 50 cards, but if they're not getting, but if you're getting more out of your eight cards than they are out of their 50, chances are you're going to come out on top in that game. And so that that's a really useful skill and a really good point of just think about every avenue you can take this card and try and maximize the value you can get out of it and pick cards that let you maximize their value. Uh, one example that I know you like, MJ, is Don Charm. Don Charm has a lot of different modes. It's pretty cost efficient, and you can really maximize your value out of that card depending on where you use it, depending on how you hold on to it. Um, how you how you can leverage the various modes on that card?
0: Yeah, it it, it definitely is a powerhouse. I just again I love it because he has the modal ability to be able to do that. But yeah, it does it provides you that same uh, level of playability that let's say a blue card would give you. But, again, it's available in white and does a lot of the things white wants to be able to do. So, I mean, it's a flavorful win. It's just a good card. It doesn't work against flux Reservoir, though. So, um, you know, no one play that and hope that it works because it just doesn't. But, yeah, it's it's just a very uh, good card that does a lot of things in the right situation. And it's just a really solid uh, piece of cardboard, honestly. So Another... I've,
1: oh, sorry. Oh. Another great example would be Restoration Angel. Restoration mm. Angel has a ton of different uses, depending on what you're pairing it with, when you're casting it, are you casting it on your turn, or are you casting it on your opponent's end step? There's a ton of points that Restoration Angel has that lets you get the maximum amount of value out of it as the caster. Yeah, and and
0: That's same with things moment, like, a, yeah. oh sorry. Flicker Wisp or uh, Karmic Guide also allow you to do some of the same things if you're able to pick your spots correctly. You're able to get a whole ton of value. You get a Sun Titan out of your graveyard, well, all of a sudden now you've gotten two, three for one off of that Karmic Guide, off the five uh, mana you've spent. You can get that ETB trigger. You have some haste. Maybe you can get even four if you have some Swift of Boots or the Greaves or something on there. So, yeah, th- th- there's just a lot of ways to be able to bring all these modules, like Peter said, together. Um, in, into just giving you card advantage. It's not just any one thing. It's kind of all of them in tandem. It just really depends on the, on the meal you're trying to create. I know that's a bad analogy. And, you're, mm-hmm. and you have to try to find the different ingredients to make it all work.
2: Yeah, uh, one, one thing I would add in there is that it also has to do with deck building. And if you're not going to see as many cards as other people or other colors then you want to make sure that you're increasing the, um, the number of similar effects in a deck.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, <clears throat> so that, that's a way of sort of getting selection uh, advantage without having to scry, and without ha- just by designing your deck a certain way. There are a number of cards that are very similar to O-Ring, like uh, Banishing Light. If you play O-Ring and Banishing Light in your deck, now you're that much more likely to draw the given card. That's why when I'm building decks, I separate cards into roles. I need a certain amount of spot removal, a certain amount of mass removal, a certain amount of uh, cards that increase the mana or types of colors I have access to, uh, and cards that are working towards whatever my game-ending engine is. So if I have a number of cards that are similar, not only am I more likely to learn everything that they can do by playing them more often, But I'm more likely to see that card um, and be able to use it at a given time. So if I find that my deck wants O-Ring, I should play O-Ring and Banishing Light
4: and, say, cast out. Just increase the number of similar effects so that you're more likely to draw them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that effectively wraps up how we're going to be looking at board wipes on here. And uh, j you obviously love unsummon effects and yeah. cards that force cards to go back to your hand or flicker whatnot. So how about uh, we get some of your thoughts on how we can use, how we as mono-wipe players can use flicker and blink effects especially to be able to gain card advantage. Okay.
2: Uh, <clears throat> so it's been mentioned that... White is the color of unity, of cards working together. Uh, a card like, Re- uh, like Restoration Angel will do almost nothing on an empty board. So you need to do some work with end, end of the battlefield effects so that your early plays can, be, uh, can benefit from your later plays. Now, <clears throat> that does come into question, where exactly would you place Restoration Angel in terms of a card? Is Restoration Angel by itself card advantage, or is whatever it's flickering the card advantage and the Restoration Angel is part of your game ending engine? I would consider Restoration Angel part of the game ending engine and put the cards that it would be flickering in whatever place that I would want to put them. So in terms of what it means for a card to be part of a game ending engine. Uh, I So in terms of a, a deck that, that works with blink effects, I have a Yorion deck, although I don't use it much anymore. It actually just recently lost its right to be sleeved, but it is still together. Uh, so Restoration Angel blinking Yorion would be a really powerful game-ending engine. It's not necessarily going to straight-up win the game, but if Yorion blinks to Archaeomancer-type effects and... One of them returns ghostly flicker, the other one returns uh like a time warp. That's a game ending engine. You are taking every turn for the remainder of the game, and that's a way to turn those blink effects into a win. That isn't in mono white though. But you can use similar effects to gain chains of advantage. Uh it, but that does depend on what specific cards you're looking to win the game. Uh, perhaps you use that to blink up. Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's, that is one of the issues. is trying to think of, okay, what are ways that white wins? Not just assembles a superior board and sort of mashes it in, but what are ways to, for white to actually win the game? Uh, So a mass blink effect, uh, what was it again? It's a six mana mass blink. You can blink someone else's board. Sudden Disappearance. Sudden Disappearance, that's it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So Sudden Disappearance is another example of a card where it has a couple of interesting uh, combinations. You can use it on your own board and just get a ton of end of the battlefield effects. Or you could use it on an opponent's board to create an opening and smash them with your army. Which one do you think I prefer? <laughs> uh, yes, but... <clears throat> being able to use those enter the battlefield effects could be something as part of uh, Daxos deck. So Sudden Disappearance would be an example of using those enter the battlefield effects and blink effects. And instead of trying to get some advantage of that is like continuous and growing to use it to just straight up win the game. Uh, if you sudden disappearance aboard with a bunch of soul warden effects they'll all see each other when they come back in you will gain a ton of life and if you have some way to leverage that life into <clears throat> a way to win the game like Death Starring Somebody <laughs> uh, that is a way that you can go from something of a board with something of a life total and a
4: dangerous card to everybody's dead. And that's the nice thing about flicker effects is they are
1: what you make them, right? They can be your form of card advantage or they can accentuate your form of card advantage, however you want to think about it. And then when you need them to start being a win condition, they can do that. And pulling double duty in a deck with fewer resources is a really strong position to be in. Being able to say, this is my value engine,
4: and then later it turns into my win con, is a really good
0: position to be in. For sure. And even if you're not necessarily blinking extremely powerful cards or things that are going to allow you to win, you are still getting advantage even if you're able to blink a Thraben Inspector or get another clue token out there. You're getting some sort of value that you didn't have before by utilizing the cards that you have to be able to gain that value, whether it's, uh, again, the game-breaking, game-winning, or ultimately game-winning play, or whether you're just trying to get some incremental value here and there. There's just a lot of card advantage to be gained just through using Blink, through using Flickr to uh, just get creative and just see what you can do to to give yourself that advantage you may not otherwise have access to. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think that'll effectively wrap up our conversation on card advantage in Mono White. Again, we went over r- Recursion, Card Draw, Board Wipes, and Flickr slash Blink. As uh, being what we considered the four modules to card and Mono White, obviously there's a whole lot more that we need to go over. So again, this is part one of a multi-part series on how Mono White is actually not as bad as people think. It's all about how you build the deck, not necessarily just trying to pilot a deck and hope that it does what you want it to do. And so I'd like to thank both of you guys for being on the podcast today. It's been great having you here. And I'm going to go in reverse order. j again, where can the listeners find you?
2: So my, Twitch, uh, my Twitter handle is at coach underscore J underscore RO. And <clears throat> so my Twitch channel is twitch.tv backslash unsummoned skull. And then I have a Discord server called the Skull Symbol.
0: All right, sounds good. And again, it's a great Discord community to be a part of. So if you're interested in uh, being a part of that, definitely hit uh, j up for uh, for a Discord invite. And uh, Peter, you can go next.
1: Yeah. yeah, you can find me at mono Whiteboarder on Twitter. From there, you'll see a link to my blog. It's Um And I post, you know, bi-weekly, um, so every two weeks, as best I can, to my blog, um, but it's kind of freeform right now. I'm doing a series called a Deck Diary. Um, I built a Terranica deck for thirty dollars using only cards printed in products from 2020, and I'm
0: just playing and building and talking about my experience with the deck throughout the year, and see where it ends up. Yeah, and it's a very interesting read. So definitely go check that out. And you can find me MJ at at MTG in Quarantine on the Twitterverse. You can also find the back catalog of my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found and sold. So I'd like to wrap up the show here. I'd like to thank both you guys again for being on the show. It's been great having you, and I look forward to all the mono-white conversations we can have about this now and in the future, hopefully with some eyes towards seeing what cool things white may have in store coming up over the next year.
2: Looking forward to it.
0: All right. So again, thank you for being here. My name's MJ. You've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.